Hi there, and welcome to the Rashcast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm John. Today, we are doing our annual off-season preview, a little later in the off-season than normal. And I say this, is <laughs> it's, uh, it's the second time we've done this, so I don't know how much that counts as annual. But uh, we have a special guest on the podcast today. You know him from the Nats blog or the Brown Herald, or if you're his parents, you know him from raising him for 18 years. Uh, he currently works for a company that we will not name. Uh, they're very- sort of the worst of both worlds here. <laughs> <laughs> Doing a great job with this introduction. Anyway, it's Andrew Flax. Hello all, it is a pleasure. Um, Jacob, thank you for the truly awful introduction. Um, it is great to be here. This is going to be the rash catch about bad introductions and very low preparedness. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm extremely prepared for what's going to happen next. Yeah. Uh, what's going to happen? Anyway. Let's, let's get into what's going to happen next. So That's a great segue right there. Yes. Uh, so baseball offseason's here. It's been here for a couple of weeks, as we all know. Um, and it it's looking shaping up to be a very interesting offseason um with you know all the financial issues that baseball's crying uh about you know lack of revenue from this year uh you know future revenue being in question with you know who knows how many fans are going to be in the stands although major league baseball you know rob ranford said this week he expects fully fans to be in the stands next year and i also expect it whether or not it's safe or not that's a whole other issue but you know financial issues are going to be a really big thing this year within this offseason with with baseball and you know whether or not teams mean or not whatever but what do you guys think you know how do you think this offseason is going to shape up in terms of spending in terms of team spending um yeah well i think we've seen some somewhat promising signs uh i think uh first of all the the qualifying we're so early in the offseason it's hard to say uh obviously we saw initially some scary signs with Brad Hand being DFA'd with Brandon Kinsler having his option declined, all useful relievers, all reasonably cheap or, or you know, cheap for the, uh, the value that they brought, uh, all sent to the free agent market, which sort of portended doom. But the way the qualifying offers have been handled has been somewhat normal. Kevin Gosman, who you know, it, it's interesting because he had a very good year this year in 2020, but we're talking about 11 starts. Uh, you know, instead of using that as a platform year, he got a qualifying offer. I think he was wise to accept it. It's $19 million. I think in a normal off season, if someone had 11 starts of good production, $19 million a year would be a, a coup for them. Uh, so that's been handled normally. Uh, Marcus Stroman accepted his qualifying offer, uh, which, again, he didn't pitch at all last year. The fact that he received the qualifying offer was something you would see in a conventional offseason. You know, we're sort of reading tea leaves here that, uh, you know, th there, aren't that, there isn't that much data at this point to say how this offseason is going to go. But so far from what I've seen, I think maybe the apocalyptic forecasts might be a little bit premature. Who knows? Maybe the Mets will sign every player. Yeah, they do have Steve Cohen now, who is apparently going to sign everyone. 
Steve Cohen will fix Elmi's economy. Uh, but but Jacob, I agree. I think I was ready to. I was ready for you to be doing gloom. I was ready to like take the opposite tack. So I'm glad that we're on the same page. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think every sign has been pretty positive so far. Like, I don't think there's a single player who didn't get a QO that I was expecting to. Like, I guess I don't think Marcus Semyon got one, but I think he was he, pretty miserable last year. So yeah. it's hardly a slam dunk that he would have. And for the Brad Hand thing, like, I think it's almost like the usual sort of, like, baseball Twitter hand-wringing about, like, players deserving to get paid and, like, every player's contract is beautiful. Um, like, like this sort of took on a, a metamorphosed form in, like, COVID anxiety. Like, there are currently seven relievers in baseball who make over $10 million a year, which is what Brad Hand's salary was going to be. Um, one of them is Juris Familia, which is insane. Um, but – he makes he's making like twelve million dollars next year, which is awful. Same deal with the Mets. Um, but Brad, like Brad Hand, yes, was really good last year, but also like his fastball velocity is plummeting. Um, he's what like 33, 34. Um, I, I can see why you would not want to make him a top ten paid reliever in baseball. Like I get it. Even if well, even if you want to say like players, you know, pay players to win the games. Like yes, all on board with that. But like, it does not mean that you have to pay that specific player that amount of money. Plus, um, it is it is something of the Indians' mo that yeah. when they have redundancy and they have a high paid player and they've got tons of relievers, it wouldn't be out of character for them even in a normal off season to decline the option of a guy like him. Not at all. And, and one other thing I like to do and think about this off season is look at other sports and see what's happening there. Like I, I think you could argue that baseball was hit harder than many, just because like obviously baseball lost you know, basically a full season, whereas the NHL and the NBA had half a season. Um, but, like, the NHL offseason is looking entirely normal right now. Like, the NHL offseason is looking uh, like you know, the, the dumb GMs are giving out the dumb contracts in, in the last sport where that still happens, uh, which is great. And while baseball lost maybe 60% of its season, it also lost 6% of that cost base, and it got a full and even expanded postseason uh, during – a, a you know the most expensive election in history when ad rates are through the roof. I don't know if that revenue actually translates back to the league or not, but the point is that MLB I think came out of this as well as it could have given the circumstances. And I have to imagine that teams are not going to cry poor and that you know George Springer's not going to get a one year eight million dollar deal. I think there will be some like cuts around the edges. I think there will be some non tender decisions that um, that people will be surprised by. But, like, I don't think Chris Bryant's going to get non-tendered. I think – I still don't know about Chris Bryant. I mean, I think they'll try to trade him for nothing. I think what's going to happen this offseason is you're going to have, you know, some teams – and I think there will be some teams that are going to be surprising, like maybe the Blue Jays or maybe, like, some other, you know, lower market teams who are going to be the spenders. And you're going to have the big market teams like the Indians. Well, Indians aren't a big market. But you have, you know, more successful teams, Indians, Cubs, Red Sox, um, you know, other you know, teams that have shown in the past their, you know, frugalness – continue and drastically continue to that down that line. I think you'll see kind of what we saw the trade deadline this year where you had, you know, some teams, you know, some unexpected teams going all in and then some major teams who could have added not. And I think you'll see that in, you know, with the Indians trading Lindor this off season for, for nothing, they're not going to get anything for Lindor. Um, you know, the Cubs who I think will either, you know, non-tender Bryant or trade him, you know, they won't get anything for Bryant. Uh, I think, you know, there'll be certain teams that, you know, you expect the, them to be big market teams. Like I have a bunch of, you know, Boston friends who are thinking the Red Sox are going to spend like all Springer's coming to the Sox, you know, all this stuff. 
why why would they spend you know they're not going to spend you're being ridiculous they're another one of these teams that should spend you know and i think you know the mets will spend obviously so i think you'll see kind of this furthering of you know either spending or not spending and cutting that's kind of been happening over the last few years but it's nothing new to this year and i think it's it's nothing new and unique to what's happening right now I think the teams that are going to spend versus not spend will be different than in years past. Yeah. But I don't think – I think you're right that we're going to see a couple of teams spend and then a lot of teams try and cut. But I think that with Bryant, uh, there are at least thin veneers of, of baseball justifications that you can use for getting rid of him that I imagine that the, you know, the Ricketts family mm-hmm. will use. The fact is he was a below-average bat this year. He's been – injured with shoulder issues and hamstring issues the last two years and he's going to be due somewhere in the range of 25 million dollars in his last year of arbitration and the cubs have even before 2020 made it pretty clear that they don't want to pay him that Mm -hmm. so i think that bryant is as good as gone out of chicago and i know that's not as much of an equivocation as i'd like to make because this is one of the ways where you can get caught, uh, assuming someone is listening to this. Uh, but uh, I just – I don't see him sticking around. I see the Cubs with their general organizational strategy being cut costs at this point. I just – I don't see a way that a guy like Bryant sticks around. But I think what we're describing is a phenomenon that was true last year. Like, I think you know, the description Johnny gave was precisely what happened last year. Like, the Cubs were trying to move Bryant even then. The Red Sox obviously cratered. Um, and the big spenders were the Reds. Like, the, you know, I think this is just sort of baseball's new normal where teams will, you know, cut costs unless they are real contenders. You know, you'll have one sort of middle market team that's going to try to jump up every year. Um, and, and maybe the Jays are that this year, which would be awesome, uh, especially if Vlad Jr. really lost 30 pounds. But uh, like, I, I think this is not going to radically change baseball's landscape because baseball's landscape was going in like an austerity direction before. Yeah. And I, I think I'm – maybe this is like – I think people are worried about this as like the health of the game. Uh, and I, I don't worry about the health of the game in this. I think this is just like ownership greed. Um, I think even if ownership like puts the screws to the union – I don't really see that as, as something that's dangerous to the game itself. Like maybe there's more labor strife, but there's been labor strife in baseball forever. Mm-hmm. Well, so two things. First of all, you talk about contenders. And one of the issues that we have right now is we have no idea what the playoff structure is going to look like next year. It's impossible to go into an off season. You know, you don't know how many wins you have to hit to get into the playoffs. You don't really know what the plan is as far as, you know, are we going to be trying to hit 85 wins to sneak into the playoffs and hope that we can get lucky? We're going to try and, you know, win 105 games. I, it's just, it's very hard to operate, you know, under A, the cost pretenses right now, the, the revenue uh, pretenses. We, we really have no idea what revenue is going to look like next year. And B, it's hard to operate under the, the competitiveness pretenses. We, we don't know what baseball is going to look like this year and obviously you can't solve the revenue question but baseball should probably act quickly to solve the playoff question or like, like dh is there going to be a dh in the nl this year it's unbelievable like, i mean i can't 
I cannot believe that they played an entire season where they had come up with rules like a week before. And day, the day of the, the season starting, they announced the playoffs were expanding. Yeah, and baseball lucked out because they got two legitimate pennant winners and a legitimate World Series champion. But there are definitely ways that that playoffs could have been a clown show. Well, look at the Marlins. I do not. I do not consider any team besides the Marlins to be a legitimate winner. Right. Well, I obviously. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, uh, I I'm a little I know what's worried. Going to happen, but I can't say. Fair enough. Uh, no, I, I don't know what's going to happen in terms of labor strife. I do think that there is more of a threat to the game. And I'm just realizing you can't see that I made air quotes in an audio podcast. But uh, if baseball, if, the, if teams go hard austerity in a CBA renegotiation year, I could see that doing long-term damage to the uh, – the game uh, writ large. But, uh, I mean, we haven't seen any signs that they're going to do that yet. So I think we'll wait on the gloom and doom. So, uh, yeah, so I think we're going to go on. So, you know, the offseason started, and, you know, we all have this one team that we care a little bit more about. Uh, I don't know if you guys know about this team, but they won a championship in the last – uh, in 2019, the last real uh, people are calling it the last real World Series champion. And you're hearing more and more. That. Yeah, you're yeah. hearing more and more these days that the Nationals are the last real World Series champion. I I, I don't know, but who can say? People, it's, it's just what I've been hearing. Um, and it's a very interesting offseason for the Nationals. I mean, last offseason was also very interesting, and they decided to kind of run it back. And unfortunately, there was no real season. Um, but this offseason, it looks like, I mean, the Nats probably can't run it back from the 2019 team. I mean, you have guys like Howie Kendrick, who are old and was ineffective last year whenever he played. Uh, you have, you know, you have half your bullpen gone from, from the 2019 team. You know, your bench is gone. You need new starting pitching. So it's going to be, there's a lot of holes in this Nats team um, that need to be, you know, fixed. Um, they're an aging team, and they have a lot of that aging players have come off the, the books. Um, and so this is going to be an interesting offseason to see how they want to, you know, push forward with Juan Soto and Trey Turner at the, as the core of the offense and with the aging rotation. So, um, so the, what, what needs do you see that Nationals have, have to fill this offseason? I think the biggest need that they have, obviously they need an outfielder, but I think even bigger than that is they need another starter. Um, and the truth is it doesn't need to be anyone – great uh it doesn't need to be i mean there really isn't anyone super great on the market unless you count trevor bauer which we can have a long discussion about whether or not he's legit or whether or not you even want the nats to sign him i'm on but team not. yeah i'm on team don't <laughs> sign trevor. yeah it's not like this is a baseball podcast where we talk about whether or let's not let's just ignore part of baseball let's save right. ourselves the trouble uh but i think the Nats will go, and it's been true for many years, the Nats will go as far as their rotation can take them. Uh, and last year, you know, they, they had Strasburg go down with an injury that may or may not recur. I don't, I don't think it's particularly likely to occur, recur, and I don't think it was a serious concern last year. It was more of a, this is a fake season. Let's get our horse healthy for a real one. Uh, but 
if the Nats have Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin all uh, pitching well, and they have a fourth starter uh, who can pick up the slack if one of them gets hurt, you know, the, the biggest, possibly the biggest loss the Nats had this year is Joe Ross deciding to opt out. The Nats had what, what went from a strong rotation to a very weak one uh, pretty much overnight with Ross opting out and then Strasburg getting hurt. Uh, and then obviously Corbin took a step back and Sanchez was, was terrible. Uh, but it just underscores how much they need rotation depth in order to win as currently constructed. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Uh, and I think that's where it would be great to develop literally one starting pitcher at any point. Like, no rush, guys, but uh, feel free. Hey, we have um, Steven Strasburg. Look at that guy. Yeah, we right. drafted him. Please do not pay attention to any of the other draft picks. Hey, we also um, drafted Lucas Giolito. He's doing great. Yeah. We also drafted Robbie Ray. Like, lots of uh, – we drafted Jesus Luzardo. Like, a lot Dane of Nats starters out there, all of whom are probably going to come back for one big reunion. Um, Isn't that what they call the White Sox? Um, that's what they called the the White Sox A's uh, playoff series this year. When when Luzardo and Giulio started against each other, it was a birthday party for me specifically. Um, and I, I agree with the pitching, and I think like I I, I kind of disagree, and I think it's not the end of the world if you don't sign one. I think there's going to be another body there. I don't think it needs to be a like big time free agent signing. Because I think with Joe Ross back and, you know, hoping for health from the, from the top three guys, like, you're in a much better spot than you were last year, which is, like, hoping, please, God, that somebody out of Voth and Crow and Fede, like, does something. Um, so I, I think it's important to have, like, somebody there, but it's not important to have a big name there. I think what you really need is lineup depth. I think there were too many just dead spots in the lineup last year. Like, Thames never hit. Robles took a step back. Uh, Luis Garcia, bless his heart, like did not do a lot of hitting either. So they just need a, a viable lineup. There need to be just like you know, big boppers where you can have big boppers. Um, and, and, you know, obviously they've got an open hole at first base. Um, hopefully Zim comes back. Third base if you trust Kiboom, which I'm not totally sure they do. Um, but but Caster, if you want Lucho or failing that, the outfield is where you've got a big opportunity to add some bats. And I, I know we'll talk about some of those bats there. But, like, if they come out of this with – Turner and Soto is their only real fearsome bats in the lineup. I think they're going nowhere. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Flax. I think that that the line, like pitching, they can make it. I think the lineup is where they need to improve the most. I think that was kind of their their dark spot of the season, especially like during the mid late August, early September, before the Andrew Stevenson revolution. Um, that that lineup was just atrocious, just just god awful. Um, and it was because they took a lot of – re-signed a lot of the guys who they signed in the last season who went off, and then they didn't replicate it. And so I think, you know, there's also lots of room there to add talent, and I think that's kind of where they need to upgrade. So let's go through positions. So the Nationals, they have one catcher, Jan Gomes. They lost – Chris Suzuki's a free agent this year. They don't technically have a first baseman coming into this offseason. Um, you know, Ryan Zimmerman, who knows what he'll be up to. Um, third base, as you said, you know, whether or not we want to trust Keyboom. You know, they have an outfield spot after cutting Eaton. Bench needs to be rebuilt. They need starting pitcher and probably a couple relievers. So if we're going if, – if you got your choice of three players the Nationals could add, three players, you know, and this is 
talking in terms of the realm of believability. I'm not talking like they just signed Riamuto, Bauer, and you know Springer. In the realm of believability, who are the three guys who you'd love the Nats to target? Uh, so for me, the answer is, I mean, it depends on if there's a DH or not, but assuming there is one, because I do think that's a pretty good assumption. The answer is Marcelo Zuna, Wilson Ramos, and Charlie Morton are my three. Pretty good. So I have every single time I think about the national off season. And I think you can, if you go back to like last year's off season episode, I did the same thing. Every year, I just want the Nationals to, like, basically do a Dodgers and have, like, depth and flexibility in platoons, and they never do. They did but that exact thing last year. Yeah, they tried to that was the problem. They had No, but they, like, they did, like, the bargain basement version of it. They'd never pay anyone $6 million who wasn't playing every day because they're morons. They paid Eric Thames $3 million to play. Yeah, that's much less than what I said. <laughs> I mean, He sucks. He did suck, he but it wasn't – it wasn't for lack of trying. They did try the – like, they have always been a stars and scrubs team. And last year, they tried a slightly different approach with the offense. And all of their guys they were counting on to be mediocre to good, most of them ended up being terrible. So I disagree in that I think they just did, like, a stars and, like, tried to optimize those scrubs. And maybe Starlin Castro is the exception to that, but – like Eric Thames is no different than like Adam Lind was in his day. They've always had like that one asshole who was just playing for space and not asshole that like Eric Thames, a nice guy. He seems so nice. He does. But just like some, some fellow who's out there who's left-handed. So if, if I were picking three players for the target, I would say JT Real Muto, Tommy Lastella, and Jock Peterson. But since they're not going to do what I say, I would instead say like, James McCann, Michael Brantley, and Tommy Lastella. Yeah, I, I love. I do like Tommy Lastella a lot. I like him. His versatility on, on the infield. I like. You know, he's he puts up good at bats. He's a good hitter. Um, for me, I would. This is just in terms of you know building the the, the lineup that's going to have the hardest at bats. Um, I love Brantley. I love Michael Brantley. I love how he hits. And I think him and Soto together would be awesome in the outfield, just in terms of you know their hitting abilities. Um, and this is, and I'm thinking two buy low guys for, for the rest of my offseason. And it's not like my ideal, but this is something that I could see them doing. But I, would, I know he had a down year this year, but I'd love Carlos Santana. I think he'd be great at first base for us. Puts up fantastic at bats. I mean, just between um, uh, Brantley, Santana, and Soto, those at bats would be, you know, we'd wear out pitching immediately. Like they'd put up, they'd average like seven pitches in at bat. I remember uh, one of the things with the 2018 Phillies, a team that was. Not that talented on paper, but was very annoying. Uh, was they had Santana and they had Reese Hoskins, mm-hmm. and those guys back to back just took pitches, worked at bats, and like it drove me insane. Yeah. And I don't know with so better than Hoskins, and then also adding Michael Brantley on top of that. I, I don't know if if that kind of thing has been quantified or is quantifiable or even really matters in the day when, you know, starting pitchers come out after five innings anyway. But just the ability to work at bats and, and grind out games really does seem to have, at least anecdotally, some sort of offensive value. Mm-hmm. I think just because a guy is annoying to watch hit does not mean that he is a good hitter. I think I would point to uh, 
Carter Keboom is a great example of a guy who, who managed to draw some locks but did not manage to strike fear into anyone's heart. Carlos Santana hit 199 last year. I mean, he still drew a hell of a lot of walks, but I just I don't feel good enough about relying on him for a spot in my lineup that I want him on this team. So that's so another rather, question. Like, is like, how much stock do you put into 2020? I mean, it's not too different from his 2018, though. Like, he had a great 2019, uh, great 2017. And if you want to do an odd year thing, maybe you can. Maybe. But I uh, – I think guys like that are generally going down instead of bouncing around. Like I would so much rather, if you think Zim's going to come back, which I do, um, or which I am like sort of fervently hoping he will, I think you're so much better off with just like some straight righty masher at first base. Like I think a Jock Peterson fits really well because he can play the outfield and he can play first base. Um, I think that's why Tommy Lastella fits as well because he's mostly best against righties. Mm. Like, I really think that you should have a platoon with Zim there, but I think it should be someone who's better than Eric Bates. Yeah, and then I have one more person to pick, and I'm talking back in rotation. There are a lot of guys who you could take a flyer on that I'd like to see, like John Lester or even Chris Archer, who's been bad. But these are guys, you know, Bylos, you know, guys who I think could be really good for the back end of our rotation. I know we have an old rotation adding Lester. We'd only make it older, but I just think those guys, or maybe even like a Tyon Walker, uh, one of those guys would be a really good fit for the back end of our rotation. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty clear that the Nats do need to add rotation depth and that it's pretty easy for them to do so because the, there isn't a ton of high-end starting pitching available, uh, Bauer notwithstanding. Uh, but there is a lot of guys – there are a lot of guys who are going to be available in January, February that they can target. Yeah. Yeah, so I, that, like, that's the approach that I would take to the free agent market, for, for pitchers at least. Like, I think there's going to be a, a, an underclass of guys who you could probably just scoop up. You can probably get Rick Porcello on like a one-year, $4 million deal on February 3rd. Um, but if I, if I want to sort of be a little more aggressive in the market, um, I, I'd say like we should think about what the Nationals are looking for specifically in a pitcher. And I think that's like health and reliability, not necessarily spectacular ability. You know, we talked about how Scherzer's getting up there. You know, Corbin was not great last year. Strasburg got hurt. So if you want someone who is just a, a workman-like, like goes out there and throws some innings, a lot of the guys out there are kind of scary. Not only the top class, but also, you know, Tanaka and Paxton. Cole Hamels was hurt last year. Kluber obviously hurt. Morton had some injury issues. So a great name that's out there that I like is Jose Quintana. Um, I, I think he is just like your classic, like innings eater kind of guy. You can trust him to go out there. He's not the best pitcher in the world, uh, not anymore at least. But I, I really like him as a fit for this team. If you're spending, you know, any sum of money on the rotation. Yeah. The thing is, so I mean, yes, I agree. I completely agree with Quintana because he is a guy who you can pretty much rely on this year aside when he had weird blister issues, or no, he cut his finger. Uh, during summer training, doing something kind stupid. Kind of undermines my thing. Yeah, he only pitched 10 innings. Oops. No, no, he was – it wasn't it. a major injury. It was a okay. weird finger-related thing. Uh, but, like, this is how I think that the market should view Trevor Bauer. I He's got high-end – like, he's had high-end results for brief periods in the past. But I think his biggest utility is as a guy who will go out there every fifth day and can give you tons of innings. I think he is a slightly above average starting pitcher 
with the capacity with a the capacity to be more than that but b the capacity to go out and give you and this is extremely rare 200 innings the problem is that that is not how the market views him the market views him as the guy who just won the Cy Young who is an ace who will get a six or nine figure contract if he wants one yeah I think yeah I think the market's definitely going to overvalue Bauer I think the people behind the front offices and media love Trevor Bauer way more than he actually is good um, I think he's just incredibly overrated he's put up two really good seasons but he's also put up a lot of mediocre seasons and I think this kind of drags us on to our last thing that we want to talk about, and it's just predictions. Where do we think uh, some free agents are going to go this offseason? Um, so I guess we'll start with the top free agent, the guy we were just talking about, and Trevor Bauer. Um, I have – I'll go first. I have him going to the Mets on a one-year deal. I think he's still going to do that one-year deal bullshit thing. He's an asshole. Um, but, yeah, I think he'll go to the Mets. Um, I think they're going to have a big offseason. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, if you're going to make a splash with a player that the media loves, you go for Bauer. I don't know that it's going to be a one-year deal, but I think he ends up in Flushing. This is the offseason where I have the least sense of, like, who is going where and, like, who gives a shit and whose needs are what. So I'm going to say I could see him back in Cincinnati. Yeah, I could do that, too. I think that's good, still a good fit for him, too. I mean, they're not bad teams. Um, okay, let's go on to Real Muto, JT Real Muto. Uh, I have him also going to the Mets. So Mets, Mets going to make a big splash sign the two best free agents this offseason. I still, I still am having trouble believing that the Phillies won't re-sign him. I mean, it, it might happen. I don't know what they're planning on doing in terms of, of finances. But there's a clear need there. They're still all in. They don't have a replacement. No one has a replacement for a five-win catcher. I just – I don't see him going elsewhere. It just doesn't make any sense. The way I feel about uh, JT Real Mucho in the Phillies this year is how I felt about – in retrospect, how I felt about the Nationals and Bryce. I kept thinking, oh, it makes all the sense in the world for them to re-sign him. Like, they have the need. They have the money. Why wouldn't they do it? Like, if Real Mucho was as open to an extension as he said – he would have been signed so long ago if the Phillies actually wanted him. He's there is a zero percent chance he's going back to Philly. Like I, I feel pretty confident in this, frankly. Yeah, um, I so, I don't know. I could see him going to like Houston, or mm-hmm. I don't know, Toronto. Maybe he goes to the Mets if they don't sign. Um, if they don't sign Bauer, I, I don't think they're signing both of them. You know, I, I don't think this is going to be the year where. Well, like even taking over the team in November feels late for. Uh, Steve Cohen to just like start writing checks so I don't know I should pick a team let me just say I don't know Houston Houston's a good pick that's a sneaky pick and speaking of Houston we got George Springer next um, I like Springer to Toronto uh, I think that's gonna be the big splash move this year just keep powering on offense kind of get that key cornerstone guy in your lineup to get around all the young guys play him in center they were playing VR in center at the end of the year could definitely use a new one. I think he's just a good fit out there. I am I, – I can say with absolute certainty that he's not going back to Houston. And I think that's why I would be shocked if Real Muto goes to Houston. I just don't see them spending massively. Uh, and I think he's been sort of alienated by the, the service time games that Houston played with him uh, way back in 2014. 
Players have long memories about that. And the fact is, Springer can get the money he wants pretty much anywhere. Uh, so he doesn't need to knock on Houston's door. I think – I'm trying to think of an outside-the-box thing here. <sighs> Maybe the White Sox? I mean, I don't know if it makes – Trade rumors has not going to. I mean, it doesn't make a ton of sense. They're pretty well covered in the outfield. But I, I just – I think that they could use one more big bat. I mean, it's a great lineup already. Uh, they tried with Edwin Encarnacion, uh, and he was – tired and over the hill I think with Springer they could really you know they put him in right they've got a great defensive outfield they can sort of cover for Jimenez who is not a great defensive outfielder with Robert and Springer and he's that bat that might take them and make them really the heavy favorites in the central he I think is going to be this year's guy who like everyone agrees is a good player but like there's just no perfect fit where somebody really wants to offer him the big honking deal that he probably deserves. So I don't know, maybe he goes on like a one-year deal to St. Louis. Like maybe they, they just decide to, to pay out for one year, try to make one of the playoffs. Cause I just don't feel like there's a team where I feel very strongly that he should go there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like, like Johnny, I've got the like MLB trade rumors list up that says like, here are the teams that make sense and nothing jumps out at me. Like, I think we're all overrating the Blue Jays. You know, we can't say the Blue Jays are going to be where every top free agent goes. So, yeah. he fits in their lineup the best of any of these teams, but I don't know. No one compels me. Yeah. Frankly, we still don't know if the Blue Jays are going to be playing in Toronto next year. Exactly. Yeah. They're going to be playing in Nashville. Ooh, fun. Dave Dombrowski is going to be GM. Um, so, next we got Marcelo Zuna. I think he'll go to the Nationals. I think that's kind of where he'll um, – I think that's kind of the make makes the most sense is him than that. But I think where he could go is the White Sox. I think as you were just talking about Jacob, the White Sox make all the sense for Springer with you were saying, I think he makes more sense for Azuna, a guy who could play, you know, fill in that DH spot for you and provide a real, real thump in the lineup. I think it depends on what happens with Brantley. And if the Nats decide they want to go Brantley, then Ozuna goes elsewhere. If they decide they want to go Ozuna, obviously he ends up in that. So I could see – I think one of the two of Ozuna and Brantley will end up on the Nats. I don't know where the other one goes. I don't know if that's a cop-out, but – I think you're both very optimistic about what the Nationals will do. Sure. I, I think there's a world in which their big signing is Jock Peterson. Um, Ozuna, though, I don't know. Maybe if Cruz leaves Minnesota, he goes there. I think it's it's hard for me to see him on a team like Chicago when – you know, their offensive defense – or their, their outfield defense is already so shitty besides Robert. Um, and, and I think it, it feels a lot harder to give him to an NL team without knowing if the DH is going to be around just because he's such a bad fielder. Not due to, like, his physical capabilities, but, like, he just seems to do more on shit out there, which is funny to watch. Um, and it kind of would be nice if he was on the Nationals because that's hilarious to me. But I'll pick a team. Okay, maybe he goes to Toronto. How about pick? Um, we got DJ LeMahieu. Now, uh, LeMahieu is a guy we didn't talk about, but he would also be a very good fit with the Nats. You know, could put him at third, um, put him at first. He's a great offensive thing player, but I just really don't see him leaving the Yankees. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, there, the problem is, you know, again, we don't know what teams are going to do spending-wise. The Yankees were a team 
first of all, they've got a huge TV contract. They were also a team that they rely a lot on attendance revenue because they're a big market team. Uh, so I don't know what their plan is, but I mean, in terms of baseball, LeMahieu back to the Yankees makes all the sense in the world. So I'm going to stick with Johnny on that one and make that call. Yeah, I, I, I just have a hard time seeing him leaving New York. They love to have that infield depth for whatever reason. I mean, they're not going to have Andahar as like a, a glorified bench guy forever, but they've got Glaber, they've got Voight, um, they've got you know, a million other infielders whose names I'm not going to remember. Um, I, I, I think he sticks around because that's the way they like to build their team for whatever the hell reason. All right. Uh, we're, I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to end it here with the top five free agent predictions. Um, thank you, Andrew, for joining the podcast today. Um, my pleasure. And uh, I'll, I'll wait for my check. I sent you guys yeah. my routing info. Oh, yeah, we'll send it over. Um, and so that's it for the Rashcast today. We'll be back at some point. We don't know when. These come out sporadically at this point. But, uh, that's yeah, that's it for us today. Um, hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.